say hello and thank you for taking time on Sunday um, from your busy week. I'm sure every day is busy though. <laughs> it is, it is. Oh, well, actually, today is my day off. So, um, oh, inverted managed, brackets. Yeah. Oh, I just said that we did spend about an hour sorting cows and heifers that have got mixed up this <laughs> dinner time. So, never quite a day off, but uh, I managed to sleep in. Oh, good. What 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 time is a lion for you? Uh, I managed till about eight, well, I stopped in bed till eight o'clock. But, oh, nice! Uh, I, I, I was I was awake long before. Um, yeah, as uh, as usual with dairy farmers, you know, you get up before your alarm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, about five o'clock, you usually wake up, but it's, yeah. uh, it's all right. Oh, good. So, um, yeah. So, thank you very much. So, um, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell us who you are? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, James Robinson, um, you may know me off social media as JR from Strictly, uh, Strictly being the name of our farm. Um, it's been, well, I'm the fifth generation of Robinson's farm at Strictly. So, we've, oh, wow. um, we've been there since 1875. Um, I've got a son, well, I've got two sons. Um, Robert is the elder, uh, he's 16, coming on 17, and um, he looks like he's going to be keen to take over. He's at an agricultural college at the moment, so that's the sixth generation. Um, 300 acres of organic dairy farmland, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nice bit of country, it's challenging farmland, it's not easy, you know, it's awkward, but it's, uh, it makes it interesting. So where are you actually based? We are based uh, South Cumbria, uh, Kendall, which um, uh, is just on the edge of the Lake District. So we uh, we miss out on some of the benefits of being in a national park, but also we, we, we gain by not in being in there as well. Um, yeah, it's a nice bit of country. So we're not we're not high, you know. We're only uh, sort of four hundred foot above sea level, uh, six hundred and fifty at the higher ground. Um, but it's um, you know with high rainfall. Um, yeah, it's just it's just an interesting bit of it's an interesting area, um, dominated by drumlins. Uh, if you remember from your GCSE geography, gosh, no, <laughs> I cannot remember any of my geography. I must say, well, I was more well, of a history drum, person. Drumlins, drumlins seems to be one of the things that everyone sort of did, and it's one of them words that people remember. They don't really know what it was. So drumlins are like an egg, like a half an egg shape, like a half egg, as it were. It's, we've got the, our hills, our fields, are sort of shaped. Uh, Okay. The, um, yeah, the topography of the land is is uh, is dominated by these drumlins. So it's sort of rolling rolling hills, big hedges, some walls, becks and woodland, and good mix of stuff. Yeah, like well, so I um, obviously just know you from social media, so on Instagram, and it's just always uh, really nice to see uh, the day to day pictures and videos from the farm um, and all the work that you're doing. Um, so has the farm because you're milking. What, what cows are you milking? So I'm milking, uh, we have 120, 125 dairy shorthorns. Um, so we've been with dairy shorthorns, native breed, for, well, the, we've been with them all the time, you know, but we've had pedigree um, pedigree dairy shorthorns for about 105 years now. Um, so some of the families that we've got now, could, you know, go back that far. You know, the, wow. the, the, some of the original families that we started with are still with us now. Yeah. So they've been alongside us at the farm you know, um, as much as as much as the previous uh, five generations have. So, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Part of the farm, yeah. And why is the the dairy shorthorn? Why is that good for you up there? Um, 
they were good for everyone originally. So everyone, uh, especially yeah. in the north, they they were they were the breed. They were the uh, they were actually the old, they were the oldest pedigree breed in the world. So the herd back goes back almost two hundred years. Twenty twenty two was uh, when the herd book was started. So eighteen twenty two is when the herd book was started. So it's two hundred years in, in uh, well next year, isn't it now? Yeah. And um, they're a breed that sort of developed in this area from being hardy been able to and 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 now that's uh, developed into something that um can milk well off grass great feet and legs so they can walk out to the grass great fertility they've got a good frame on them as well plenty of strength uh but they you know they, they are quite feminine you know they, they are a, a, a true dairy cow um, yeah. and there's been a lot of work in the last sort of 30 40 years to really improve the other quality and stuff on them so now they they really can stand aside at any any dairy breed really but they are very much a, a profitable dairy breed you know they're a breed for for all the health traits as well as the actual milk yeah so have you ever was there any temptation to go down like the holstein roots or anything um, or are there a few of those in the herd um not really no we haven't got any we haven't got any black and whites no they um i think it was I think being pedigree kept us with them. You know, if we we're non-pedigree, maybe we wouldn't have quite that alliance with the with the breed um, and the society. So I think having the having the actual uh, input with the with the pedigree breed and the interest with that meant that we do we have kept with them. And now there's there's a lot more interest in the breed and the society is actually growing again now. Oh, fantastic! Uh, you know, so it's um, other other herds are and other breeds are sort of trying them. Um, to sort of, you know, for, for those health traits again, you know, for, for a more profitable way of farming than chucking loads of cake in at one end and expecting milk out the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just to go like onto that profitable farming though, um, so you said you're organic. Have, how long have you been organic for? Or is it? Yeah, we've been organic and uh, everyone always asks me how long I've been organic and I, I think we did write it down, but I never actually really know. <laughs> we've been organic, I think, on Robert's 15, 16 years, something like that. I think it was just after our Robert was born. Um, and, yeah, I think we sort of thought we'd give it a go for five years and see how it went. You know, um, that was the length of the time we were with this, on the stewardship scheme with the conversion grants and stuff. And I thought, well, we'll try it for five years and see if we like it. At the end of the five years prices dropped a lot organically and we did wonder whether we we're doing the right thing and then we looked at the whole farm profitability and the um it's easy just to look at the milk price per litre you know mm. and the feed price and, and if you look at that it's it's very easy to to, to try and draw a, a comparison that's probably wrong really when you look at the, the farm as a whole and how the farm is doing um i think and the whole health of the farm as well as a profitability, there was very, very little in it. Um, you know, if you're just on actual money side, between being as, as conventional and as um, organic at the time. So when we looked at the whole farm, it was it was obvious that we had to stop being organic. You know, sorry, sorry stay being organic, you know. Um, so we've been in now for another 10 years after that sort of little wobble. And um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back now. That's fantastic. So what made you change initially then? Um we were never a high input type of farm, you know, so we, while we did spend, you know, spent considerable amount on fertiliser every year, you know, from the, from the back, um, but we, our cows weren't pushed massively, which meant that they were sort of ready for the conversion. I think having the cows ready is probably easier than, than you've been ready, really. Because, <laughs> you know, it's this whole mindset thing, you know, it's uh, it's it's still easy to look over the neighbour's hedge and see what, see how much grass they've got, you know, and to see them cutting earlier than we are maybe getting an extra 
an extra ton or two off each cut that they're making, and then maybe take an extra cut every year so they can get more yield off their off their grassland than us, and all their cows are maybe milking better than ours as well. And it's very very easy to look over the hedge and, and make comparisons, but you've got to, you've got to stop doing that, and you've got to just look, you know, just take your farm as a as a sort of sole enterprise and just farm it the best way you can, really. And the best way for us is without putting excess nutrients on. It's without putting any sprays on, you know. So we haven't we haven't used any pesticides, of course, in all that time. So it's 16 years since there's any pesticides or artificial fertilizers got on the ground. Um, we're very, very, very selective now with any wormers or anything that we're using. So we very rarely use any of those unless we absolutely have to, and then it's on an individual basis. Um, cow health is phenomenal now compared to what it was, you know. So we're talking about like um, mastitis rates or the health that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, calf health is, you know, it's, it's brilliant. You know, it is. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, it takes a long time. It takes a long time for your, the cows convert dead easy. The cows the cows wouldn't know any different. It's what they're made for, isn't it? It is, it is, especially the, the, the breed. They do look after themselves. But it's, the, the land takes a bit of time. You know, the land goes a bit cold turkey for the first few years because it's expecting it's expecting to get a dose of fertilizer in, uh, you know, in early May and so early April, and then again end of May, and you know, it's just regular feeding of, um, you know, of artificial nutrients coming out of the bag that it's just sort of sat there waiting for it, and it doesn't really try very hard unless it, unless you unless you put it on. Yeah. Um, but once you stop putting it on, after a couple of years, it thinks, "Hang on a minute, I'm gonna have to look a bit different, look in a different spot for this." So within, it probably took two years. You know the ground was yellow. It just looked oh, awful. Wow. It looked it looked poor, and 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 again, you're looking at the neighbours. You're thinking, shit, a bit this. What have we done here? <laughs> you know, can we have, can't grow any grass. Uh, are we going to feed the cows? Um, and the grass that we're growing was low in protein because it hasn't got that artificial fertilizer in there, that artificial nitrogen in it, which increases the protein levels. But then once the clover got established, so we'd put clover on on day one. You know, we went around and put loads of clover in all the meadows. Once the clover got established and spread and we'd done a bit of reseeding and put the right type of mixture in rather than just like a single variety of ryegrass, it then, you know, then the farm started changing and, and then we, I think our mindset would then change that we were then more encouraging sort of from the soil up rather than top down. Yeah. And um, and then, yeah, probably after five years, it probably took before the ground got itself sorted out. And then, the yeah, it seems to have been sort of nearly plain sailing since. You know, wow. but but I think probably it nearly took till year seven or eight before we were producing the same amount of milk that we were previous. Yeah. So you know, our farm. So now we're producing the same amount of milk off the same acres. So the same amount going out, but with less going in. You know, so we're using the ground far better than yeah. we were before. So you know, those the two years where you said like the grass was just like yellow and wasn't looking good at all. Do you think that those, you know, people seeing that and think, oh, you know, gosh, they've gone organic, look at them, poor grass. Do you think that's what sent, is that initially putting people off either going organic or reju- rejuvenative agriculture? Um, probably, yeah, it's that change. Whenever you, whenever you change something as drastically as not, as not putting fertiliser sprays and things onto land that's always had it, um, or being regenerative type of farming as well, where you're completely changing your grazing system and stuff. Um yeah, there's going to be a time when it takes the land time to adjust and you to adjust as well. And you've just got to just, you know, you've you've set your 
you've set your sails and you've just got to keep going, haven't you, really? Yeah. Just, just crack on into the wind and, and, and yeah, um, you, you will get knocked back and you will make mistakes. Um, but, you know, you, you just learn from them and, and, they, and you do get there in the end. But, um, yeah, it does feel like you're climbing a fair old hill to start with, like, but, um, yeah. yeah cause... Once you get to the... Yeah, and then once you get to the top of the hill, it's a beautiful view. So oh, I bet maybe it is. More, maybe more people should try and climb that hill. Yeah, because I suppose like the uh, the just putting the fertilizer on, which um, again I've just sort of been reading lots and um, Gabe Brown's dirt to soil, and you know just talking about fertilizer as a drug like cocaine, isn't it? That there's that addiction, so the soil is addicted to yeah, that, and then it is that cold turkey. So. I just, um, you know, I think it's just like the way forward, but to, you know, I'd be going organic or looking at different ways, certainly not putting nitrogen on. Because you wouldn't, you know, think, we don't do it to a human, do we? So are we doing it to the soil? I think, um, and I think the whole agriculture industry is going to have uh, a big wake up in the next sort of 10 years, really, when I can see nitrogen, artificial nitrogen use being severely restricted mm. and licensed. Um, it's very fossil fuel hungry, you know how that they make it be with oil or gas or whatever. Um, so it's it's not environment. I mean, if you just take on a carbon thing, then you know you can probably you can probably justify well you can grow more crop with putting nitrogen on and you know and it's, if it's targeted well, then you're still going to get a benefit in terms of carbon per kilo of, of corn or of, uh, of beef or milk or whatever. Um, but when you look at it as a whole. It is not a thing to be doing, is it? And I think if we can get that nitrogen from the air and the soil by using correct farming, mm. you know, by using legumes, by um, well, just by trying to sort of get the soil right so it can hold the nutrients to start with, then yeah, I mean, that's, that's got to be a better way, hasn't it? Really, and it's far better way both environmentally and economically, really. So, well, that's that, that's the sort of thing it seems to be like environmentally massive tick, and then that economic thing as well. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I've never had to like buy the fertilizer myself, apart from doing it <laughs> in a university uh, on a business uh, module, which I failed or struggled with. So <laughs> I have no my uh, my profit and loss was always millions out. But um, you know, just that amount of money that you're investing in um, nitrogen fertilizer, isn't it? And it's such a big investment for the farm. It is, but I think if. I- there's probably still a use for it, you know, but it has to be far better targeted, you know, not blanket everything with the same. And I think people are getting more wise to. Um, I watched a good uh, thing on the um, uh, Oxford Farming Conference, and Clive Bailey was on, and it was all about nitrogen and stuff then, and trying to save. And he saved a huge amount, really, just by being far more targeted, by putting on the right time, by cover cropping and uh, mm. direct drilling and stuff, and he's saving so much that way. And I think he's. You know, so much could be saved that way without cutting it out completely. Um, but like I say, I think there's going to be such a um, legislation on its use far too long that people are people are going to have to wake up and wake up and sort of make big changes fairly sharp. I think really, so as they're not getting this cold turkey, you know, they don't yeah. want to just suddenly stop using it. You've got to really find the ways of replacing it before you stop maybe whereas we being organic we kind of had to you know we kind of jump off that cliff ready to start with because your day one you you then have to stop putting it on you know so you haven't really got any choice but um, I think if people can be a bit canny about it they'll sort of slide the way slowly down into it I think so. so what would that advice be then so like you know say we've got two years to sort of make that change what would your advice to someone be 
Uh, turn it for grassland, just get clovers in. You know, clovers are just fantastic for fixing nitrogen and energy. So all of our fields now are all really rich in clover. Um, it's a bit harder to get into permanent pastures. You know, those old pastures that have uh, got a really tight sward on them that you would never, ever plough there. It's a bit harder to get it established in there. But if you if you scrap around enough with sort of tying harrows, you can try and establish, you know, try and get that seed to soil contract, trying to get a bit of, a bit of um, uh, soil onto the seed, then it'll soon grow. Um, that day one, that's what you want to do. You want to get as much clover in the ground to start with, because that does take quite a while to establish, and it takes you probably need to a second year before it's fixing any nitrogen really of any amount. So you really need to be getting that in day one really, and just trying playing about with stuff really. You know, yeah. see what's worked. You see what's worked in your on your neighbour or on the, you know you, you can't. It's it, it, each farm's different, you know. So whatever you do, it's it, it's only going to suit your farm, you know. Yeah. So you have to just find the right combination of, uh, of, of whether it's soil management, legumes, uh, grazing, you know, or whatever it is, you know. You just have to be a bit more um, creative, really, aren't you? Yeah. So what are, what are the girls eating then? What what's their are their grazing and forage so, routine? So grassland at the moment is predominantly still ryegrass, but we've just um, we've, we've gone to much more longer term ryegrasses, so we're not having to reseed very often. Uh, white clovers for us have done really really well. The modern white clovers are fantastic at both fixing nitrogen and um, getting a, a decent yield. Um, we've gone for high energy grasses as well if we can, just to try and get as much energy from the grazed grass rather than to buy in too much cake. And that's the same for the protein within the um, within the clover as well. So we're trying to create as much protein in that sward as well. Yeah. So we're not having to buy in extra protein as if we can. Uh, we've actually, this last year, we've put in um, 15 acres of, um, the same again, white white clover, ryegrass, mixed, it, mixed some um, plantain and chicory in. Oh, right. To try and be a bit more drought tolerant, uh, um, found last two or three years we've just had a really dry spell late spring early summer mm. where we've had three months with virtually no rain which for cumbria is quite unusual but it's happened last three summers now yeah um and we've come come like early june right through to the end of june we've really struggled for yield you know for any any grazing grass for the cows and we kind of need it you know dairy cows have to have some quality grass in front of them all the time you know and you have to find new quality grass every day you can't you can't just think oh they'll be all right for a couple of days yeah you have to have some fresh stuff every day um so we've put this 15 acre in to just to try and be a bit more drought tolerant because the clover the uh, well the clover is reasonably deep rooted compared to a rye grass and then we've got the um the chicory and the plantain which are quite deep roots they're more like a more like a dandelion root so they do go quite a way down, six or eight inch down, and they're going to pull up that that uh, moisture from down there, yeah. as well as all the nutrients and things that um, that the grass and clover would miss. So. Oh, so it'd be interesting, yeah, to see, yeah, the benefits yeah, of that come that. Cause, um... So it'll be the first spring grazing that this time. Um, so we're quite looking forward to getting them onto that and seeing how it does. Yeah, no, definitely, because um, again. Um, yeah, our summers are set to look to get drier and our winters a lot wetter, isn't it? So you've got to start thinking and yeah, yeah, yeah. getting that future proof, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. And, like, and it does take time, you know. It's, uh, it's a bit of an experiment, really, because we haven't, we haven't done it. So we've put, like, one in a grazing field, one in a silage field. So, like, seven, seven and a half acre on each, just to see what happens. See how we can manage it for cutting. Yeah. Grazing will be easier, as long as it doesn't get too strong, too, too, uh, too semi. But we'll see how you know. But we also want to know that it's going to last as well. The trouble is with a lot of these 
um, herbal layers they're quite short term mm. you know because the grass tends to then co- compete and, and but whether on an organic system the grass might not compete quite so much so they might be a bit more resilient so we'll have to see yeah I think it's also like just keeping on top of the grazing isn't it I think yeah. you can get a lot off it yeah. can't you so um, yeah Oh, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that'd be really interesting, and yeah, really nice to see different um, mm. plants going in. Um, so, had the farm pre-organic had it sort of gone through that change of hedges being taken out and trees down, or had it kind of has it stayed the same pretty much? And then you're just working with that now. Yeah, I think we were, were probably quite unique. I think, and a lot of many places in the entire country, I bet that are in the position that we're in. Um, so if we go back and look at maps from 1851, 1841, which is the sort of earliest field maps, you know, general field maps around here, we've still got 95% of our borders, our, our farm boundaries in from that time. And they're not just a wire fence, you know, they are a living boundary or a dry stone wall, so a hedge or a dry stone wall. Um, so I think we're kind of, well, yeah, we're, we're lucky and privileged, uh, I think, to be able to, to have that. Um, I think probably the the fact that the farm is awkward, like I said before, <laughs> yeah. it's you know we've got these steep banks, we've got the becks, we've got the woodlands. Because of all that, it's kind of meant that you couldn't really take. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hedges could have come out, you know, they could have meant. But then we've got a prevailing wind that's sorry. <laughs> just look at the kingfisher just gone round the pond. Just oh wow! <laughs> um, I heard it before, and I wonder where it was. Um, so we've got um, where was the hedges? Yeah, so um, awkward stuff and what have you. Um, prevailing winds. Yeah, prevailing winds. That's it. So um, yeah, we need a lot of shelter. So we're not, you know, even though we're, you know, like I say, we're not that high up and stuff here, but the wind comes right off the sea, which is only about eight nine miles away. Oh, okay. As, as a crow flies. Yeah. Um, so it can, you know, so the prevailing wind comes right off the sort of Markham Bay, Kent Estuary area, and then right up us towards into the hills. So. Uh, we get a lot of wind, we need a, a lot of rain, and so we need a lot of shelter as well. Yeah. You know? So uh, for a livestock farm, the hedges are our number one form of shelter. Really. Um, and then I think, I don't know, we, we've always laid hedges, you see. So, you know, with Grandad's diaries, um, got, we've got some and from his brother in the, like the 1930s, 1940s. And in that, in winter, they're hedge laying. You know, oh, virtually wow. every day, they're, they're hedging, you know, which is what we do uh, if I'm... Well, be a diary on social media or a diary at home, I'm putting in hedge lane, you know, and I'll say where we're hedging and we're hedging the same ones now that they were hedging then, you know, so, wow. so um, and they might only have been done twice in between, you know, yeah. so um, it's something that's done every 20, 25 years, but it's something that we have done on a on that big rotation for all that time, so. So what uh, what's the benefit of that hedge laying? Um yeah, some people call hedging um, going out with a traction a flail. Oh, you know, gosh, and, don't. And <laughs> making it square. You know, I talk to people sometimes and I say we've been hedging. They say, oh, yeah, I did all hours yesterday. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, we can't do all hours uh, in a day because we do it different. Well, we do flail the roadside hedges, which I have to talk, do for, um, for safety. So they get flailed annually. And then um, the... Um, so I was watching the kingfisher going back again. <laughs> She's got some food heading home. Yeah. Um, so the um, um, yeah, but all the inside hedges they just get left. So the the hedge laid. So the, the ones that we're doing now, they were last done in um, yeah, probably twenty five years ago. 
and they laid and and every time you lay for every 20 25 years you lay them down and you get all that rejuvenated growth that real thick new growth out the bottom basically what we're doing we're we're coppicing it you know mm-hmm. so you, it's like a it's like a, a coppice but rather than completely chopping it off you're, you're, you're laying it down ligging it as we call it um and you're leaving a little bit of growth on there it's like a quarter or a half an inch of, of wood still attached laying it down and then you're creating a hedge that once was you know as our hedges that we're laying now are five six seven meters tall oh wow um, width. chopping all that down call it reading out so you're chopping all the stuff you don't want out and then you're chopping it in, you know, you're laying it in into a hedge that is then what about uh two and a half three foot wide in the top and, and maybe about yeah sort of three or four foot high yeah and that and and then so you've got this real nice tight new growth in there and all the all the uh, all the horizontals are all there, they're all still living and then they get vertical growth off them, new vertical growth off them, so you get this real fantastic vibrant growth coming up for the next yeah, well for the next five, six years that's all it's doing, it's going really, really fast out a little, little tiny bits all the way along the hedge and then some of them start dominating the stuff and then you get the bigger the bigger ones growing up and, and then in the end after twenty years you've got these great big tall which you know, to some people, might just look like trees. Yeah. But then, but when you look at it closer, you see they're all attached to the bottom on these horizontals. And, um, yeah, it's just um, it's it's, a, it's um, probably a labour of love, I think, mm. really. You know, because it does take a lot of our time through winter. So any any fine days, perhaps weekends, we're not that we're not that keen. But um, <laughs> uh, and any fine days, we'll do all our stock work in the morning. We're feeding, what have you, milking. Go on hedge for two or three hours, maybe four hours if we're lucky is a good day, and then come back and do the the afternoon doing up, you know, the milking and feeding and stuff. Yeah, is there a link with that? So you know, um, obviously there's for like the nature, but is there that like historic link to it as well that you know that you've carried that on? Yeah, I think. think? um, Probably yeah. So like I say, we were hedge laying. Uh, You know, we always have been hedge laying, but some of the hedges were did get into quite a poor state because some got probably got left too long, maybe 60s and 70s, and maybe weren't done quite as many. Maybe further away from the farm, they weren't done quite as much. So, but it got to the sort of mid, uh, no, it got to late 80s when they were in theory to do again. They'd maybe missed the time and they got a bit gappy, Mm. and because they maybe weren't fenced off as well then, so there wasn't the wire netting. They got a bit gappy and a bit like, you know, they did get like a row of trees there. And, uh, but luckily some hedgerow incentive schemes, huge teams came uh, on board. So we, I think the granddad signed up to one. I think he was the first one in Cumbria that signed up to this. It was the very first huge scheme of its kind in the country. Oh, right. I think it was agreement number one for Cumbria. And we basically put virtually the whole farm in and, and, re- and went round. This is, yeah, 19... 19- uh, 1990 I think it was or 91 and um, so that's yes that's 30 years ago and yeah so all the hedges then virtually got rejuvenated there were still all the old stocks there all the old plants were still all there but they got a bit gapped so they got they got, got gapped in between everything got double fenced protected and we're now redoing them again now yeah um, and it'll probably take till yeah they'll probably be alright again next time but you, you know even now we're still finding the problems that probably left from not doing them in the 70s yeah as yeah. much you know so um yeah kind of looking really that them schemes came around i think because that could have been a tipping point for us it could have been when we thought no actually they've gone a bit too far now with their hedges just take just out. pull a few out you yeah. know so um, maybe that scheme coming on and the fact there was money to do something that needed doing 
uh, meant that we did actually get on and do it. Yeah, um, I. Um, so your double fencing is that like what is your width of your double fence say to your hedge? Is there like a um, bit of a gap between the hedge and the fence? Yeah, so there's like a meter probably. Okay, Some spots yeah. a bit less. My granddad used to always hate the fact he had to put it a meter out. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if you've got a, if you've got a good living hedge in the middle, so you've got a you know you've got a mature hedge. You don't need to go that far, really, because before okay. too long, it starts growing out anyways, and it starts creating its own sort of canopy over the fence. Yeah. And then you get things like bramble and what have you, longer grasses and stuff, and uh, and, uh, and uh, dog rose and things growing in there anyway. So it kind of creates its own buffer, its own boundary anyways, before too long. Um, and I quite... well. I, I do like cattle eating hedges anyway, so they're getting loads of minerals and things out of the hedge that they can't get from grassland. So you, especially in the getting towards the, the top of late summer, cows love grazing all the hedges there. Yeah, there's a lot in them, isn't there? There is a lot in them, yeah. So we can't, so yeah. We probably do put our fences maybe a little bit closer than maybe a lot of um, um, environmentalists maybe would like. Yeah. But we know that we know through experience that they soon get outside of that anyway. Yeah, um, I was just walking yeah. this morning along the roads and uh, I was just thinking how it's literally a hedge with the fence right on it. And if the hedge is up on the bank, the fence is right up to the bank. And um, just sort of had a thought that those hedges can't like really breathe. Although they're living, they're not yeah. getting just that little bit more space to maybe breathe into. It, it, it depends if they're flailed as well, I suppose. And if they're flailed, yeah, they're flailed. The fences well, that's different. Right? Yeah. So I was left to kind of, you know, they grow through the fences and it just take, that's another thing we've got to do when we're hedge laying, we've got to go around and take all the wire fence out oh, as well. Wow. But, uh, okay. but the wire fence is reused, so, you know, we're using wire again now, so um, it, and it'll, it might even be all right next time. So the wire fence will last 50 years, the posts, you know, they're, they're pretty knackered after 2020. <laughs> yeah, they don't last anyways. anymore, do they? Um, so they're to be placed. But, um, yeah, no, we, we find if you can... And the, the hedge then becomes more than a stockproof bound. Mm. In fact, by the end of its 25 years, 20 years, it's not a stockproof bound. You know, if, if the fence wasn't there, it, you know, stock could walk through. So it's become then um, shelter um, for both the... You know, for both the livestock and the fields. So the studies show that uh, hedges provide shelter for even grassland and and create better growth about 50 metres into the field, you know, with a decent sized hedge. So mm. um, it's something to be considered. People think you lose you lose that ground next to a hedge that's overgrown. Well, you don't because you actually gain more further on. Yeah. Um, and then it, and then it's it's this corridor for wildlife. You wow. know, it's corridor for, um, uh, for lots of little mammals that are scurried up underneath and, the, and all the invertebrates that are in there. Um, Butterflies are feeding off them and, and, and using them for breeding. Bats hunt up and down them, of course. They use them for, um, you know, they use them for sort of navigation and stuff. So you kind yeah. of need these big hedges in. Um, and of course, bats can only, uh, some bats will only feed somewhere that hasn't been using ivermectin worms as well because of the dung beetles and stuff. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all linked. It's how you treat, it's how you treat everything on your farm. It's all very, very much linked and, uh, and it's very easy to sort of think, oh, well, it doesn't really matter if you use ivermectin this year, well, they'll, they'll be all right, you know. And, and then all of a sudden you haven't got any dung beetles and then, you know, a certain species of bats goes hungry for a little bit. 
Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah one of those things, isn't it? Again, which we're sort of we're learning now, isn't it? The effect of yeah, it kills the worms in the cows or sheep, but mm. ultimately it's killing a greater ecosystem, isn't it? Yeah. Of all the beneficial yeah. things. So, um, have you noticed that in the last fifteen, sixteen years, the an increase in sort of the wildlife and insects and ecosystems on the farm since going organic, or were you? Uh, yes, it has. Well, it hasn't been measured. You know, we aren't. Um, it's just, wildlife's hard to measure, isn't it? You yeah. Know, you can't, um, it's all very anecdotal. Um, so it's hard to put any sort of figures on it, really, or anything. But I just know that everywhere looks healthier. Um, but in that time as well, the hedges have got far better. The way we manage them as well has, has changed over that, you know, over the last, like I said, the last 30 years. The, the management of our hedges has changed again as well. Um, yeah, I think we're probably quite unique the way we do our hedges. I've had a lot of messages these last um, these last sort of few months, really, with people wanting to change the way they do, and, and a lot of people are now looking at having these big hedges that are on a big long rotation rather than flailing them every year and stuff. So it's good that you can sort of influence people that way. Oh, fantastic! Um, but going back to your um, thing, yeah, I don't know. Yes, it is. It must be. You know, I know it is. I know we've. I know when people come on. To our farm, they are um, generally pleased and uh, well, shocked and also pleased and surprised, I suppose, that the amount of bird life that there is. Mm. Well, I don't, I don't really see it as being exceptional, but I think people that have maybe seen more sort of sterile farms, you know, where maybe hedges are flailed, the ploughing right up to the boundaries, there's no rough edges and that type of thing. Um, I don't really sort of see that because you know you tend to stop on your own farm, really. But I think people that maybe do crossover between places they do see that a bit more so yeah and i know we've got a, we've had um, you know we've just started trying to measure uh, things like moths this time as well uh, although covid's maybe made a mess of that but uh, we, we're, just, we're gonna we're gonna start counting different moth species and things as well we've done one car i think we've got if we get 60 or 70 i think um but i know there's loads more so you know it's just yeah. something to, to look out for i go that's fantastic though and just yeah creating that little ecosystem within the farm mm. um so you said you, you know you you're very active on social media. Um, I see. Is Instagram your main platform? Um, I was I started on, and I still have got a lot lot more followers on Twitter. Yeah. But I find um, it's just it's just got a little bit sort of nasty. Oh, is it? <laughs> well, not not well, not not just. It's always been a bit of, there's been a few shit but uh, it's just a bit a nicer community of farmers on Instagram. Yeah, and, and I know you can have a bit of a you know you can you can you can chat to people a bit easier on there than you can on Twitter, I think as well. Uh, but in terms of getting out to different people, I, I kind of use both because I know there's different people that are on Twitter that are on Instagram. Yeah. So I've got you know there's nearly I've, I think I've got nearly twenty five thousand on Twitter. Oh wow. Um. um but it's a different way of communicating somehow. You know, you've got to behave a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I just feel like I've got to be more sensible on Twitter than I have on Instagram. Yeah. No, I was just <laughs> like... Be, I think it can be a bit cheekier somehow on Instagram. I don't know why. Yeah, I was just thinking, What did, uh, your eldest son, did you say Robert, when he was like, I don't know, you've been fencing, and he was like doing that TikTok bounce at the field or something, and it just, that just has stuck with me. I thought it was really funny. Sort of <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you can... Um, yeah, you, you know, you can mess about a bit more. It's, it's, it just feels a bit more light-hearted. Yeah. It's not, not quite as serious, but you can still get the same message out there. Well, yeah, so just think... Still, 
yeah. yeah you can still make a difference really so yeah just thinking that you just said about you've had loads of uh, people asking about you know the way you're hedging and stuff and they want to change to that way you know that's just such a you know a big win because there's obviously been these environmental schemes to do your hedges in that way which maybe those people didn't take up um but now they're seeing what you're doing and you know the benefits of that so yeah it's sort of a government incentive you know james who lives up near cumbria has changed a few people's minds which i think i, I think a lot of the time no matter how good the scheme i think people still need to see it working mm. you know they still need to see a farmer doing it to know um but uh, it was on um it must have been a year last september then it must have been when people were allowed to go out and flail again so first september people had to go and flail all the hedges done that's the date you're allowed to go and do it and um and i think it was Pamers. It, it was you know the lovely Pamers. yeah yeah she'd put a she put a picture on and someone would flail the flail the hedge as they do right down next to the roadside or something it did look pretty shit actually you know they made it real though <laughs> And I, and I and she said, oh, why do farmers do this and stuff? I think it's off and what have you. And then a few people started chipping in, you know, farmers say, well, you don't know, we need to do this. So I then quote tweeted and said, come on, farmers, we can do better than this. We can, we can. it, it looks awful. Why are we flailing now? All right, you can maybe do roadsides, but you don't need to do the inside of the field now. And then people, um, and the amount of, I got a lot of abuse from farmers, <laughs> both openly, <laughs> openly and not on Twitter. Um, which is a bit embarrassing, really. Not, no, I wasn't bothered about getting the abuse, but I was just embarrassed that our industry could only see negatives by mm. not flailing. Yeah, there was all the excuses in the world as to why they had to flail, but no positive reasons as to why. Well, maybe we should leave it. Maybe you know. So um, it, it created a good bit of discussion. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, did, it did get a bit spicy for a bit, um, but. I probably got five or six direct messages to me saying, well, actually, I agree with you. We're starting to do this now. We're not flailing. We're leaving till February to do our flailing. Or, um, or we're leaving, you know, two-thirds every year and only doing it once in three years or something like that. But there were, people were embarrassed to sort of say that on an open platform, which for me felt, you know, the, the industry had a, has a bit to go if that's what they were embarrassed or yeah. safe to not didn't yeah. feel safe to say it isn't it which yeah. is, which, is, is right, such right, a right. it's not like it's not like you know you're an alcoholics anonymous and you yeah. have to be in a little secret room and says you know it's like it's only hedge you know it's all you're doing is leaving a bit of hedge you should be you should be proud of a yeah proud of a bit of hedge that you've left that's created a you know that's created a, a bit of extra habitat and stuff so so how do you think that can change? Like, because that's obviously like a mindset thing, but also a language thing. Um, I think that's really important. I think, I think it's I think it's changed since then. So that was eighteen months ago, probably. Oh, okay. And I think I think it's changed since then. And I think it's probably because the end of um, direct payments is very fast approaching. So people are seeing, um, you know, that the only alternative to getting government money on farm. It's going to be through doing works that um, you know public goods and yeah. um, environmental works. So and with elms, it's going to be exactly something they're going to do. They they they're quite easy. Could pay you to not flail hedges, and they might pay or a payment every hundred meters, and then every ten or fifteen years, you can take a capital payment to hedge lay it or something. Yeah, and and that to me, if the I know this podcast just sounds like it's all about hedges, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> but to me. If yeah, you know, there's all this, these targets for doubling tree cover, and uh, I'm uh, if you just maintained hedges and replanted hedges better, and and and, um, and created more a canopy with them, 
you could you'd be a long way towards that. Mm. You know, you'd be you'd be so far down the road towards that and you wouldn't have to do anything, really. You wouldn't have to lose any ground. It's not like we you all of a sudden you had to you had to take um you know ten percent of your ground out to um you know to, to plant some trees on. All you've done is just maintain the boundaries of the road there far yeah. better and, and that and then you've got all these corridors for like I say for wildlife it joins with other bits of habitats and stuff. Um no, I'm a bit of a Hedgerow, no. <laughs> Hedgerow, cheerleader, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, well, no, I um, well, I watched. There was a talk on the Oxford Real Farming Conference, and then uh, I um, just went to see some of the day. She wants to sort of make. She's got some land, and I was just saying about maybe reintroducing the hedgerows that were taken out originally and creating the wildlife corridors, and and I just think. It, and then it was. Um, yeah she sort of mentioned or we were talking about uh the welsh government scheme to plant up a lot you know again get all these millions of trees and i was like well you can put them in your hedges you can do this da, da, da. and it is isn't it it's, there is really simple ways of meeting that criteria um, it is yeah and then then hedges then can link you know because you could leave a few rough corners yeah stick banks you can plant a few trees on them or you can just you know not graze stock on it um so if you get this real rough loupy grass and, um and then, and of course, you've got the voles and invertebrates in that sort of cover as well. And then they can all then run up and down this this hedge. And yeah. um, it's just about you know you can make small changes all around your farm, little bits dotted around, linked to hedges, linked to it. And you can you know you can maybe do something with your waterways as well. You can change the way that you're managing them, maybe fencing bits off and planting up some repairing strips on there. And mm. then you don't have to lose hardly any ground really. And yet you've you know you've probably you know, ten times the habitat that you that you had previous. So um, yeah. yeah, I just um, yeah, I think from like restarting like my reading and like listening to the talks at the Oxford Real Farming Conference and things, I'm like just driving around the countryside now, going, well, that could be planted, that could be done. This a bit more. <laughs> so in my head, I've just uh, can see all these things that just could just be achieved, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think if if a lot of farmers did did that as well, you know, to their own farm, and we're just a little bit more critical about the way they did yeah. things, you know, and and really sort of thought, well, actually, why am I doing that? You know, it, it, oh, I'm doing it because my dad's always, you know, he's always done his hedges in September, or he's always cleaned that gutter out every February or something like that. Well, maybe you don't need to do that. You know, yeah. what benefit is it actually doing? You know, and if you could just leave things every other year or leave things just to just to sort themselves out. Yeah, you, know, you can soon make a make a huge change really to the to the environment on your own farm, really. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, what changed for you? I mean, have you always been like this way, or was there something that you know you really changed your mindset, or your use of language, or your education, or is this something that's just how you and potentially your family are anyway? Um, I think I think we've always been in, interested in. Um, the environment of our own farm and it is generally just of your own farm you know i mean i could tell you lots about the behavior of birds and mammals and stuff that's on our farm but if if something wasn't here i'm not a bird expert at all i know what i know quite a bit about what's here and i think it's just about being interested in i think if you're interested about the stuff that's, that that lives there or possibly could live there you know if you haven't if you haven't actually got them there that you could change the environment a little bit and they could move in then I think um, you know once once you see the difference that you can make, you know on your own in your own lifetime, um, then you know it's it's very easy to be to become um, 
immersed in it really you know yeah. and you do and then you sort of do a little bit and you think oh that's that's really good that's that's encouraged um maybe some butterflies to nest on that bit there that never nested there before never never laid eggs on there before or whatever and, um or a um you've maybe got um, well, see, we had a curlew nest again last year, which hadn't nested for a long time. Oh, wow. um, probably more by chance, you know, just didn't decide to use our field this time. Um, but we then changed our management around that a little bit. And we defence it off, and we decided we weren't going to cut that field until a lot later, until the fledged. Well, anyway, a fox got in and oh, no. you know, got over our fence and did it. Um, so we're going to try a bit harder next time, or we'll just try something a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, there's just, you know, we as landowners have just so much. Um, so much of a hand in what is in, in 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 what is happening on our own farms. You know, we can very easily create habitats, but we can very easily destroy habitats as well. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to be mindful of whatever we're doing as a farming business that we're trying to encourage and create habitats rather than doing the opposite. So. And how often do you try and get off farm? Obviously, this year not much, but in. You know, would you usually go to something like, you know, the Oxford Farm Conference? Would you go to farm walks? You know, how important is that education of farm to you? Is that something you do? Um, farm walks, yes, I do like going to farm walks. I like seeing, I think farms are just nosy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. I like to see what, but I also like showing people around here. So we do have quite a few people visit here, be it individually or as groups. So, you know, because we like to show them what we're doing. Uh, both the good and the bad, you know, tell them what has worked and what hasn't. I'm very open about whatever we're doing. Uh, conferences, I'm not good at conferences. I used to think they were a waste of time. Yeah. You know, because I think, well, if that's four days there, I could have been doing... <laughs> four days know, of hedge laying. Four days of hedging, you see, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, but now, um, see, the uh, Real Fiber Conference that's just been this last week, um, I did some bits during the day and then caught up bits at night and stuff like that. And that was great. You know, I I kind of wish I'd gone before to that. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping if it's on this next year, it has to do it virtually. Yeah. I'll be I'll be, I'll be going to that. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, that was my just, uh, first you year. Learn, you can just learn so much. I know. And just like outside the box as well, learning. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was my first year as well. I've been meaning to go for years and it's January. And I'm like, oh, it's on. <laughs> So I've been to uh, NFU conference. I didn't go last year. I went to like, uh, two yeah. before that. Um, I think that's more of a social thing. <laughs> yeah, that's just. I, think, I mean, there is stuff. I've seen some the of the day, photos. <laughs> yeah, there is stuff happens during the day, apparently, but I've never quite met <laughs> met into it the Christmas night. Um, but uh, networking. Yeah, but, but I think um, I think it's just it's just as good to get out and make people talk, isn't it? Oh, wherever that is, wherever that is in you know in. Um, what, what's, what's that Australian bar called that's, that's in there? Um, oh, the yeah, Outback or something. That's it, yeah, that's it. Uh, whether it's in there or whether it's, um, you know, in a, in a conference or whatever, it's just good just to talk to the farmers, really. Because, you know, chances are you're going to learn something just in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes. So Yeah, no, and I think that that's just really important. Like, you know, one of my favourite saying is every day is a school day and, and there's yeah. something to learn, isn't there, all the time? Definitely. What's your, what's, you know, what has the future living on Strictly Farm then uh, looking even? How, how you know, what do you want it to be like? Um, I want it to be a, a sustainable farm, both environmentally and financially, you know, because there's no good having one without the other. Yeah. Because um, that's what sustainable is. It's, it's got to be everything, hasn't it? You've yeah. got to be able to make money to be able to farm it. Otherwise, because, you know someone else could soon move in and then all the edges that we've left 
Ollie, you know, but the rough grass on that we've, we've drawn and all the areas that we've been managed to wire like so we can see we've just gone in a in a year. So we've got to be able to manage, you know, we've got to be a financially sustainable. But then I just, yeah, I just, I just want it to be, um, you, you kind of want to make a difference, don't you? So, uh, you know, I mean, I've been sort of farming here with my, you know, with dad for the last 30 years, probably since I left school, isn't it? Yeah. Near enough, not quite. Um, uh, so I've seen massive changes in that 30 years, but, uh, you know, but the majority have been so positive. And if you can keep that going for the next 30 years, then I'm Sat in my rocking chair with a pipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't have a pipe. I would have started smoking, would I? <laughs> I don't know. I you could just do. have an empty pipe. You know, I've kind of got pipe. similar aspirations That's as it. well. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's just... Uh, you just want to be proud, don't you, of your time that you've that you've sort of spent on Earth because we're not here that long, are we? No. You know? and, oh. and you need to... And stuff that I'm doing now... I mean, 30 years ago, I was planting... You know, I was planting some trees now, watering my granddad, and, and, and I know when we were, when I was planting them, there was a guy came round to advise on space and all that type of stuff, and he was telling me it was. I was stood there with my granddad, and this fella said, "Oh, you know." He sort of looked at granddad and said, "These trees aren't for you, you know." And then he looked at me and he said, "They're not for you either. They're for your grandchildren." Well, that seemed, you know, and I was what fifteen at the time. Yeah. And that just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed something just sits so far in the future. You just could not imagine it. Now, you know, these trees are, you know, they're thirty year old, they're twenty foot high. They've got a you know eight ten inch across the bottom some of from myself I've got a son now so it's only one generation away from that you know and it's so it's yeah time just goes by so fast so we just need to make sure whatever we're doing we kind of get on and do it really well, so, yeah. so so we can so I can rather well rather than sit in my rocking chair then I'll, I'll sit under one of the trees that I've planted and and with the I, grandchildren have, yeah that's it that's what I'll do yeah and I think. I don't know again I was talking to them recently and it's that we've got it's far you know what you're doing now is it's for the future generations it's not for you is it, it no you know no. yeah okay day-to-day -day money bills but stuff that you're doing you've got to think it's got to be about what's you know your children or their grandchildren or it's got to be for the future hasn't it it, it has it has and um yeah and just be mindful of just the difference that we can make positively and really. just yeah. get on and do it you know it's it, what there's a saying, isn't there? The, the best time to, to plant a tree is 20 years ago, and, <laughs> yes. and, the, and, and the second best time is today. Yeah, know? so just get on and do it, and and um, and just well, just be proud of your farm, really. Proud of everything that you've that you've been able to do, really, on it, you yeah. know. And, and I'm as proud as the uh, we won a wildlife award. 20, well, 2019, the last time it was a uh, the Thai Trophy from the Yorkshire Cultural Show, which is oh. like for, for environmental work, wildlife and stuff across the uh, the north of England, and uh, and we won that, um, and the overall winner of that, and I was as proud as winning that as I was of you know of winning the Highland Show with a with a cow, yeah. And stuff. So it's yeah, it's just yeah, it's just been able to sort of stand back and. And yeah, just be proud of everything, really. I think your farm—I think your farmers. I'm mean, farmers are very, very proud people. Mm, we are, and, and yeah. I think, and I think you just got to just give yourself a slap on the back every now and then. Just think, yeah, you've done a good job there. Take a step back and have a look. Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, I can't remember, but I just had the thought: How often do you actually physically walk the farm? Is that something that you or? Um, yeah, well, we've got a, we've had a dog for the last couple of years, so I've probably walked more in the last couple of years with, with Ronnie. Um, <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a working cocker, so he's, <laughs> he's bonkers, absolutely yeah. crazy. Um, 
so yeah, I do a lot of walks with him. Probably walked a lot more now than I ever have, um, rather than just riding around on the bike, you know. Yeah, um, how is that? It, how has that changed your view of the farm? That's what I just want to try and get um, to. You, yeah, yeah, you hear and see so much more. Mm. You can look down at your feet and see much so much more. Um, you can see the changes as well. Um, and quite often I'll just stand and just, you know, listen for a bit. Just stop and uh, um, it's like that. Um, um, is, is it uh, W.J. Davis? You know, um, um, what is his life? is full of care. Forget- you know, I have no time to stand. Up and stare. Uh, yeah, I uh, had that. You used uh, to have that written down. Yeah, no time to uh, rest beneath the boughs of stairs as long as sheep or cows, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just that, really. I mean, believe me, if you can't, you know, if you can't find time just for, you know, five, ten minutes in a day, especially in summer when it's beautiful weather, everyone's racing about, either terrorising about, yeah. just spend five, five or ten minutes and just have a sit and a listen, and, and you can you can probably learn far more in that than you would have been racing about. So. Yeah, no, because I was listening to another podcast, I'm not sure if it was... Um... It might have been Charliana or anyway, some anyway, it was saying how farmers actually these days you're so you're in a machine or sat on a machine a lot. So um so there's maybe not that although you're in nature, you're not with the nature. Whereas that's why I, I think, just Yeah, yeah. I think livestock farmers are probably a little bit different because you do yeah. probably spend more time on the ground. Yeah. But I know um yeah, I know you are completely separated from it from a tractor. You might think that you're you know, you're connected to the land. But you've got stuff. that screen, if you, haven't if you, you? If you? If you've got six foot of metal and rubber between you and the ground, mm. um, and all and not, you know, and you've got and you've got, you know, soundproofing like no other on these modern cabs. You've got the radio on. You've got your you've got your touchscreen thing yeah. telling you how fast and how much how much corn or fertilizer is going, you know, whatever. And um, yeah, I think we've probably have lost that connection quite a bit, really, as an industry. You know, yeah. I think, um, and I think, yeah, maybe. Maybe rather than sitting having your sandwiches on the tractor, get out and sit on the soil for a bit. She touched the earth, yeah. Actually, yeah. step on it and see it. No, yeah, it's just something. Um, it was really stuck with me that um, hearing that from the other another podcast, and I just thought, yeah, you know, um, yeah, just being within it and in it is so important, isn't it? Mm. And um, yeah, like even just say you've probably walked more in the last two years of having Ronnie, <laughs> <laughs> the dog, which I think is really important. Um, well, I think, uh, I mean, we could just keep talking for ages, but I'm hey, aware cool. that it's, it's your, actually your day off and it's uh, probably cold. So you see, you know, James actually sat outside with this, you know, within his beautiful landscape, which I think is, um, yeah. Is this your favourite part of your of the farm or where's your favourite part? I think so, yeah. The wood and the pond, I think, because that has changed so much in my lifetime, I think. You know, yeah. well, I can sit on top of one of the fields and I can look across, you know, and I can see probably two thirds of our ground off some of the fields. I think if you come down here and you sit, so I'm sort of sat between the pond and the beck and the wood behind me. So there's what, 12, 13 acre fenced in that is purely for wildlife, nothing else really. Mm-hmm. Well, wildlife on our enjoyments, of course. Uh, but it is a good mindful space and you can and you can see the nitty gritty and you can see that, you know, in summertime when the, the dragonflies are. It's sort of hawking up and down over the, the water and you know, like I said, this kingfisher which I seen yeah. today scooting about and you've got butterflies and moths and all that sort of stuff in the round. And in fact I've seen the otter from here as well, sat where I am oh, now. Wow. So you can see all that there and you know you know that none of that was here thirty years ago before it was done. You know, so all that has just come because of something that a farmer did. Build so, it and they will come. That, 
Indeed, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's, yeah. I mean, it's been, um, it's such a pleasure to speak to you today, but I mean, it's just such a pleasure to see, you know, pretty much your daily updates on Instagram. Um, and just to hear that, like, proud, uh, the pride in your voice of, and, you know, the way you're talking and so, you know, yeah, we should have more hedgerow geeks uh, out there. <laughs> To... I'm, I'm, I'm hoping if I'm like you know if I'm like 200 percent hedgerow nerd, then it might just pull a few other people to be 10 percent hedgerow nerd. Yeah, so Bill, bring up their percentage. <laughs> no, I think yeah. that's I think that's the uh, something to be very very proud of indeed. And uh, yeah, no, it's just been uh, lovely to learn a bit more, and hopefully you know you can change more minds um, and opinions on Instagram. Maybe leave you know the arguments to Twitter. Um, but yeah, it does seem. Yeah, you're doing a fabulous job. So thank you very much for sharing that with the rest of us. No, thank you for spending time chatting, Sharon. It's been lovely. No, it really has. So I shall say goodbye and let you... What, what's, what's the afternoon? Feet up in the fire? Uh, yeah, I might just go and have a cup of tea and then I think <laughs> watch, watch some crappy film. I think, oh, no, football's on. Oh, well. Oh. Oh, yeah, I'll, go, I'll go watch some football. Well. So, so. Anyway, I'll, I'll not say goodbye. I'll say toodaloo. Toodaloo! <laughs> <laughs> thank you to James for his time. It's a real pleasure to speak to someone who is so obviously proud of his farm and the work that he does. It really is a privilege to be a farmer and a guardian of the landscape. Can you imagine being the fifth generation following the same land and the same practices that your family have done since the 1800s? Once again, it's all about mindset. This really is one of the biggest challenges. But as James said, once you climb that hill, the view is amazing. Till next time, folks. Thanks ever so much. Bye.